Hello and welcome to the British English Podcast with your host, Charlie Baxter. Today, we have an episode with a friend that I have reached out to from the US, who I met back in around 2015, as she was my partner's colleague out in Columbus, Ohio. And since then, we've all kept in contact, so much so that we've visited each other in different locations throughout the world. And the last moment, I believe, was in Sydney, yes. But over the last year or so, this friend that I'm talking about, who was born and raised in upstate New York, I believe, decided to uproot her life and move across the pond to the UK and has been living in London ever since. And it suddenly dawned on me that I would take this opportunity to ask her about her experience, as I know a lot of you guys listening are interested in the idea of moving to the UK, or at least knowing more about the reality of it. So here we go. Let's jump into the conversation with Katie. Hello, Katie. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. Good. It's uh, Thanks for having me. Ah, you're very welcome. Thank you, thank you very much for taking the time. So it's this morning for you. You've just dropped off Louis, your dog, right? to the Yes, what? he's at daycare. He's in daycare. Okay. Yes. And you got Louis just when you moved to London or a couple of months after? Yeah, a couple of months after. Really only like about two, three months after. Right. Okay. Yeah. That must have been a bit of a a hurdle to get over to have a pet in a in a new country but I think we're jumping ahead of ourselves let's go back for everyone what was the reason you decided to to make the move to the UK this episode comes with a free worksheet over on the website thebritishenglishpodcast.com so grab that and you can listen along whilst using it Uh, well, I've always wanted to move to London for years. I really, it's one of my favorite cities. It is probably my favorite city. But I decided to leave my corporate job to study psychology. And I figured that would be, I was making this big change anyway. And I wanted to move to London. So I figured, why not do it at a school in London? So I applied for uni here. Wow. So you've been at university the whole time? Yeah. So for the first year that I was here, I was university. I'm finished now. Okay. Okay. So you, you've been there longer than a year. I, I was asking Stacey and I was like, is it two years? She was like, no, no, it's, it's a year and a bit, I think. Yeah. Year and a bit. Year and a bit. Okay. Okay. So you've done your year of uni. Was that a master's? Yeah. Master's yeah. degree. With what uni? Uh, Kingston. Kingston. Yes. Very close to where I was born and raised. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. In fact, I think you, Stacy, and I all met up in Kingston at one point on one of our many visits. Yeah. Yeah. That was that. I think that was on the same trip that you got to experience the uh, boot sale, wasn't it? <laughs> yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> can you can you tell people about the boot sale, please? Yeah. You. I believe you guys were in the process of moving to Australia, and they had things to get rid of, and so my option and it'd be to be able to see you guys was to attend this boot sale. And we just rocked up to a field and everybody had their car boot open, which as an American, we would call that a trunk, the trunk of the car. So boot sale, the name of it in itself is misleading to me. But yeah, we got there and Charlie was a fantastic salesman. But you remember at the beginning, it was quite vicious, quite physical. It was vicious. Yeah. And like, yeah, everybody was kind of mobbing the, the, 
boot of the car. I don't know if we just had really good stuff or what, but people got really serious, really, really into making sure they could check out what everybody had and didn't miss any treasures. Yeah. So it was mainly clothes, a few pieces of furniture, probably not furniture, but mainly like, you know, whatever you can think of that you'd want to sell if you wanted to move house and move country that it wasn't worth bringing that stuff. That's in a boot sale. And there was like a whole huge field of it. And we were there from seven in the morning, something very early to probably, you know, 2 p.m. or something. And uh, yeah, and it was exhausting. It was, it was, wasn't it? Yeah, I remember somebody stole a pair of trainers, but we won't go there. We won't dwell on that. So, okay, let's uh, go back a little bit further. Was I right? You were born and raised in upstate New York? Yes, that is correct. Okay. And then you got a job with Abercrombie and Fitch as a graphic yes, designer. Correct. In Columbus, Ohio. Yes. And that's where I met Stacey and you. Uh huh. And then where did you go from then? From there, I moved to San Francisco, California, which is a fabulous city. I got a job with uh, Gap and then I was there for about five years. Okay. Gosh, five years went quick, didn't it? Mm. Five years. Wow. With Gap. And I came to see you in San Francisco. Can you remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I forgot about that until I was (laughs) writing that little intro. So you were in San Francisco and then why on earth would you go from such a beautiful city to London? Well, London is equally a beautiful city just in its own, in its own way. Yeah. I've always really loved it here. The first time I ever visited London, I felt really at home straight away. Obviously for me, it's a relatively easy transition. It's an English speaking country. So, you know, I didn't have to really struggle with the language, you know, I didn't have to struggle with a language barrier or too many cultural differences. There certainly are some. Interesting. We'll get to them in a bit. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I just always felt really at home here and I love London and I've always really loved I've loved the Brits. I've always had a lot of Brits in my life. So yeah, it just seemed like the natural next step. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Did you have Brits in your life growing up or it was after adulthood kind of thing? So it started in uh, when I was in college. So I guess, I guess we would call that adulthood, but yeah. And then, and then really it was Abercrombie that uh, introduced me to you lovely lot. I'm, I'm guessing that you, that you like British people considering you've moved across the world to be around more of them? Yeah, I think it's safe to say that. I do. (laughs) (laughs) What would you say that you like about British people? Is there an obvious trait that you could pin down? I think the sense of humor is the big one. I I think British people are very sarcastic and charming, kind of woven together. That's a nice too. I like those. What about some negative ones? I can't just I can't just claim the positive ones. Well, I mean, I, there are also more positive ones. I would say the Brits are also very warm and welcoming. I've in or at least in my experience. But negative ones. Go on. Maybe okay. Maybe this is from a Californian perspective, but maybe not as open-minded as other places I've lived. Mm, yeah. Not to say they're close-minded, but you know, open-minded in terms of like what. Maybe they're just not quite as like woo-woo, hippie kind of things that I'm used to. (laughs) Uh Does that come into like mental health kind of things that you're talking about? Or because that that was the degree that you kind of did, wasn't it? 
Yeah, my degree was in psychology. I'm very interested in mental health. I do think on on the more serious side of that, I do think there is a little bit more of a resistance to talking about your feelings and and maybe directly engaging with some mental health topics. I think it's getting better. But of course, there's the just, you know, take it on the chin, stay strong, just knuckle down and deal with it kind of attitude. So yeah, definitely. I think that has, I see that more clearly here. Yeah. Okay. So a little bit more narrow-minded or less open to the woo-woo stuff anything (laughs) other than mental health when you say woo-woo what else well I think again I'm coming from a Californian perspective so something you would do in California if you moved into a and not just California but if you moved into a new room or a new house you would break out your dried sage and sage the room so you get dried I've got it here dried sage wow and you would okay. sage, you knew light it on fire, and then you would just waft it around the room to kind of clear out any negative energy. And I was at, I was having drinks with some friends, and they were all, I think it was maybe four or five English ladies, and then my good friend who was Swiss. And we had a new housemate, we had a housemate moving out and a new one moving in. And I said something along the lines of, oh, well, we'll have to sage his room. And they were all like, are you a witch? <laughs> That's exactly what I thought when you brought that sage out. Wow, that does look very witch-like. Yeah, right. Which is quite a common thing. It's just to me, I was like, yeah, that's just what you do. But after that, after I said that, I was like, that was a real Californian moment. So that's really normal in California? Absolutely, yeah. Really? Yeah. And you're getting rid of the demons or something. Is it based on Christianity? No, I don't know what it's based on. It's just, it's supposed to have cleansing elements to it, Sage. Right. And so it clears out any negative energy. It's more of an energetic thing. Oh my goodness me. Yeah, that is really, in my eyes, really hippie. I didn't know that about you. I didn't know you were that hippie. I I mean, I'd like to think of myself as a middle ground hippie, not like a full-blown hippie, but you don't spend five years in California without picking up some of this stuff, I don't think. Some of the Sage. Yeah, exactly. They don't let you in without it, really. Wow. Okay. So why did you choose to live in London specifically? Did you did you think about going to other places around England or, or the UK? I mean, you love Ireland. Did you did you not want to go there? I was debating Ireland for a little while. I think the draw has always been to London, like I said, just because I love the city, just the energy of the city itself. And I've always been the type of person to live in a big city and enjoy a big city. I'm from a really small town. And I think contrast to that, I've always in my adult life enjoyed living in big cities. So really, while I did consider Dublin, and I did apply for some programs in Dublin, London won out and it was just where I wanted to be. I will say since moving to London, I do really love it here. But I have started considering other places in in England that I might live. Ah, okay. That's news to me. Where is on the shortlist for you? Uh, I don't think I'd go too far from London, but I am missing being near the water, somewhere more coastal, like maybe just out towards Essex on the coast a little bit more. I still have access to London, but have, you know, have beaches and, and the water right near me. Additionally, I really enjoyed the Cotswolds when I went there really lovely and I haven't been to Brighton yet but I have a feeling I'd really like it there and again it's obviously that coastal kind of thing so yeah we'll see I reckon you'd find 
you'd find some sage in Brighton. I bet, I bet. I reckon. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't get those looks if I brought that up at a dinner party. No. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. That's so funny. All right. So let's do a little imaginary scenario of what you thought London would be like. A bit like Instagram versus reality, but painting a picture using words. So imagining what London your dream of London would look like before you got here. And then we'll go on to the reality of it. But yeah, can you do that for us? Absolutely. I just wanted to check in with you about something. Are you one of those language learners who often thinks, am I actually making any progress with my English? Is what I'm doing to study actually working for me? Or am I just wasting my precious time here? Well, if you think this way, then I'd like to encourage you to take action on this. Imagine how much more motivated you would be to put time and effort into your English studies if you knew that every time you studied, you would be guaranteed to be making significant progress. How much more satisfying would that be? So what do we need to do in order to find more clarity around this issue? Well, tracking your progress is a wonderful way to show evidence of your language skills having actually improved. And to track progress, the first thing you need to do is understand what level you are currently at. If you haven't taken a level assessment recently, then I highly recommend using my free test that will instantly tell you your level of English. Once you know this, you can start tracking your progress, which comes in many forms based on personal preference and your level of English. But that's a conversation for another time. For now, though, make sure you check your level of English with my free level checker, which is available over on the BritishEnglishPodcast.com slash freebies. That is the BritishEnglishPodcast.com slash F-R-E-E-B-I-E-S or find it in the show notes of this episode. So I think in my head, I was going to move here and live in a beautiful, you know, kind of terrace housing that you see when you think when you think of London housing, uh, not super central, had this beautiful home that was designed beautifully wake up in the morning, have a cup of tea, put on some fabulous outfit that you can only wear in London and commute to work, be really happy on the tube with my book, be in my office with my coworkers, then maybe go out for drinks afterwards, just really loving central London life and then commute home to my beautiful house and maybe sit in the garden on a summer's evening. I think that was the that was my day to day kind of vision of what my life was going to be like here. That's amazing. I really like that. That definitely painted a very vivid picture for me. When you talk about the housing, I'm imagining because you are a designer. Uh, Stacy is also a designer. I imagine you're pretty focused on interior design and architecture. Can you kind of describe the architecture that you were envisioning when you when you were wanting to go to London? So in terms of like the actual house, I kind of envisioned kind of just like the brown stonework, like the light brown stonework with bay windows that, you know, was kind of envisioning that, you know, I, th- I think mm. kind of I had in my head a kind of more narrow house if it was terrace housing. Right. Yeah. But then having a lot of like built in you know, bookshelves and shelving units, things that felt really historical and lived in, but maybe with a modern update, beautiful kitchen, maybe with a glass 
ceiling? What do we call those? I don't know. But when they, when you know how they do an extension on a house and they put like a glass ceiling or skylight. Oh, skylight. Yeah. Okay. I thought you meant like the patio doors being fully glass. That too, I think. To that too. The the extended garden is something that I feel like I think of a lot here when I think yeah. of architecture in oh. London. So you can sit and have a cup of tea while it's raining, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think think of overall, I think an actual house, I think kind of dark colors and nice accents like gold accents and just really something that feels historical and lived in and homey. Okay. And you also said about wearing an outfit (laughs) that you can only wear in London. What's what's different about that? Can you explain yeah, so, what the fashion is so like? So San Francisco is a very casual city. So you would not see people getting super dressed up. People don't wear suits to work. Um, I mean, really the order of, of the day when, when you're walking around in San Francisco is jeans and a t-shirt. But in London, there's so much more of a sense of fashion. And I think because it's such a fashion hub, there's so many... Uh, it's just a very fashionable place, isn't it? I think you can get away with wearing a lot more like fun, trendy outfits or even just dressing up a bit more. I think you see a lot more here. So yeah, I think I saw myself really dressing up here and, and wearing some nice dressy outfits to work. Yeah. And have you done that or has lockdown kind of messed that whole Absolutely thing up? Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> All right, let's go straight to the reality. So the reality is I moved here in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, I have really, for the first six months that I was here, we were in lockdown. And now now I work completely remote. So this idea of commuting and dressing up every day has completely gone out the window. And I, even when I was doing my master's program, because of the pandemic, it was completely remote. So I came here to do this program and I never once stepped foot on the, on the campus everything was remote. So I moved here and I was studying remote and I was working remote and I I continued to work remote. So that idea of getting dressed up and going to an office and then going out for drinks afterwards has, it doesn't exist. Oh, (laughs) Yeah. So I moved here and then that idea of getting dressed up and going commuting into the office and then going out for drinks just, just completely disappeared. So has it been particularly hard to to make friends in in the pandemic in London? Yeah, I think so. I think it's definitely something I've struggled with. Getting a dog has helped for sure. A, because people are really excited to come talk to you because you have a cute little dog. (laughs) But also you meet people who have dogs because you take them to the dog park and whatnot. But it definitely has been challenging. I think when you move to a new place, oftentimes you make a lot of friends through work or university, mm. if that's what you're doing. And I just didn't really have those two two touch points to meet people. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That is good, though. I remember because I came to Sydney and we did two dog sit and I met so many people and I thought it's actually quite a good way. It's a bit extreme, but it's a good way for people to practice their English because so many people talk to mm-hmm. you, especially if your dog is friendly and they go up to people and, you know, stick their noses in their their dog's bums, you've got an immediate meet cue. Exactly. I mean, it happens to me probably on a daily basis that I stop and and talk to someone about their dog or someone stops me to talk about my dog. And I do just think this is kind of going off topic a little bit, but I think just in general, dogs really encourage us as, as humans to communicate with one another because even if you're walking down the street by yourself, even if you're perfectly friendly, you might not smile or, or acknowledge or just, you know, generally communicate with someone else walking down the street. But if someone, if some, you're walking with a dog, 
people smile and that just immediately opens the door to uh, to conversation so that is so true especially uh, yeah i'm thinking babies and dogs yes do this make this shift in adults we just immediately have a crack a smile with each Mm -hmm. other and without that we're just stone-faced all right so lots of dogs and Mm. babies that's a that's that sounds stressful actually (laughs) i'm not sure if it's worth (laughs) (laughs) worth that hassle go into the culture shock kind of thing so when moving to a new country culture shock is often part of the journey did you find that to be true yeah yes and no um definitely in some I don't know if we would call it a shock, but definitely cultural things that I wasn't quite ready for, especially because I think I came into this thinking, I know a lot of, I've spent a lot of time in London previously before moving here. And I've got a lot of friends who are English, so there's not going to be any culture shock for me. And I was definitely wrong. Ah, that's interesting. I did actually think that you would Mm -hmm. think that. Ah, I do think it's benefited me in some aspects, but some of the things that I found different the supermarkets had to be the first one. That was a big one for me. They're very different. I think still to this day, I'm still adjusting to the supermarkets. I think anytime you move to a new country, you have to get used to a new layout or the way things are set up. But in a supermarket specifically, all of the packaging is different. There's not the same brands that you're used to go, you know, going to. And even some of the foods that I used would eat, I can't find here. So yeah, that's that's definitely been a little bit of a of a challenge. On the flip side, when we move to America, I I'm I'm going to ask you. Well, you're quite a healthy person, so I don't know if you you do this, but were you shocked by the fact that the bread in the UK actually goes off quite quickly? Uh, yes. Well, I wasn't quite as shocked because I knew that was something that you guys had, you had pointed it out to me. So it was something I was aware of before, but bread goes off very quick. I mean, everything goes off very quickly here. It's, it, it has been a real eye opener to what's going on with the food in the US. Yeah. And am I right in guessing that there's loads of preservatives and, and sugar? There's a lot of sugar in bread, in the bread. In, in the bread, in, in the milk, there's a lot of sugar in things that just sugar just doesn't need to be in. Oh. Wow. Okay. Any Anything else culturally apart from the supermarket? Honestly, this sounds so silly, but this one was a big challenge for me, was walking down the street, just which side of the street to walk down. Because, I mean, I intuitively think I just want to walk the way I walk, but people here walk down the side of the street the way you would drive here, which is the same way I would do it at home. So I would find myself like wanting to walk down one side of the street like let's say I'm on the I'm on the footpath, I would want to walk towards the right, but then everybody coming towards me was walking on the right, and so I would need to shift and walk to the left because it mimics the traffic patterns. Yes. And it sounds really yes. it sounds okay. really silly, but I would get a little bit stressed out about it because I would I would just be walking down the street, and then I'd almost be like bumping into people, and it it stressed me. It would fluster me, and I'd be like, oh, I'm not walking. I'm walking on the wrong side of the street. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can imagine one bad day for some reason and you just flip out and you shout to everyone, can everybody just stop looking <laughs> on the left? Yeah, and people take it very seriously here, you know, which side of the the street you're walking on, which side you're standing on and not standing on, especially if you're commuting into central London. So, you know, big things. Okay, the escalators, it's quite a, a formal yes, affair, it is. isn't it? You've got to, you've got to know which side. And I actually get confused because I've, I've been in a couple of different 
sides of of the world now, like uh, sides of the escalators. So, what side is it in in London? Does it mimic the traffic in the yeah? Escalator? It does because you would walk on the left and you'd stand on the right. So you would walk on the left as if you would drive on the left and then you stand off to the right so that's that's how it is on the escalators okay. yeah and you yeah, do yeah. So you do you don't want to go up in a yeah, hurry you do really yeah. have to get that right because you'll get some people coming behind you being you know yeah. clearing their throat really loudly and <laughs> just kind of nudging you along <laughs> i love that that's like the aggressive version of a brit coughing loudly you just get straight up yelled at if you were yeah. in new york but here people are just like <clears throat> <laughs> Although I suppose that's quite bad nowadays, given the pandemic. That's like, you know, yeah. going to give you a virus. Okay, so supermarket, side of the road, anything else? There's always, um, there's always words that are different. In fact, someone pointed out to me yesterday that, and I don't know if this is just across the board or if this is certain people, but that we say turtleneck. If you have like a high neck sweater that folds down, we would call it a turtleneck, whereas I believe you call it a roll a roll neck? Yes, we call it a... I, well, I would call it a polo neck. Oh, okay. That's also new to me. I, f- I could be wrong, but I think there's a slang term for turtlenecking, as in, like, there's a bit of poo coming out of your bum. <laughs> Have you heard that before? I have not heard that. Truly turtleneck to me just means a high neck jumper. Yeah. <laughs> so... That's a bit different, yeah. You've you've got to be careful with some of these because some of them, while some of them are kind of harmless, one of the big ones that I have to really pay attention to is not saying the word pants. Mm. So if someone's walking down the street and I like their trousers, I have to say trousers because if I say I like your pants, yeah, things get things get. And weird. I remember Americans find trousers as a very very formal word. Do you feel yeah. uncomfortable almost saying it? It's definitely, uh, I have to think yeah. about it. I have to think about saying trousers. You know, my, my instinct would be to say nice pants. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it, it does feel very formal to say trousers. Yeah. I feel like someone's wearing a suit. Okay. So, oh yeah. Where are you in London? I'm in Southwest. So near Wimbledon. Right. Yeah. That's, that's hopefully where we're ending up in a few years. Hopefully. Hopefully. Yeah. Why did you decide to go there? And were there other places that you looked at in London? I mainly did consider being Southwest London only because Kingston, like the area of Kingston and where the university is, is Southwest. I wanted to be between Kingston and Central. So I wanted to be a little bit more Central than actually living in Kingston because at the time I thought I was going to be attending uni in person on campus. So I wanted to be able to commute there easily enough. So yeah, that kind of steered the direction for me. But I have... I actually really do enjoy East London as well. I've spent quite a bit of time there before moving here. And it, I think it's an area that I would consider. Interesting. Okay. East London. So actually that kind of comes to towards the end of, of part one. So we will leave the conversation there, but pick it up in part two. Uh, I want to talk to you about the favorite places that you've been, restaurants, cafes, bars, etc. Uh, museums perhaps ask you whether the weather is really that bad as as they say it is or as I kind of believe it is yeah uh, some <laughs> of the best apps that you use as well maybe go into that and then I've got about 20 other questions that I might throw at you but yeah that will be in part three so guys thank you very much for listening to the episode today if you are 
coming to part two, then I will see you there. But Katie, thank you very much for attending. So Katie is a, a designer, but is also now has a master's in psychology in general. Yeah. General psychology. Yep. And you have an Instagram account of your dog, which is very yes. cute. I, I recommend people <laughs> to check Louis out. What's his account name? Uh, it's at Louis, L-O-U-I-S underscore of underscore London. Okay. Louis underscore of underscore London. Yeah. Nice. And um, you also said the other day that you were doing something about actually creating some art in a couple of months or something. What was that? Yeah, I'm working on a side project. Um, I've always been into painting and illustrating. It kind of goes along with my design background. And so I'm working on starting my own business that is focused on prints and paints, some of them custom, some of them things that kind of speak to me, but they are all based around mental health and supporting mental health. And the idea is that once I start selling these, a portion of the proceeds would go to a mental health charity, which I'm still debating which one, but I'm leaning towards doing something along the lines of Samaritans that focus on suicide prevention. Amazing, amazing stuff. Okay, so guys, check the links out below. But yeah, thank you very much. And we'll see you guys in part two, hopefully. Thank you. We will leave it there for part one of today's episode. Thank you very much for listening up to this point. If you did want to listen to part two and part three of this conversation, then you can head over to the BritishEnglishPodcast.com and check out the premium podcast or academy memberships. The premium podcast gives you access to the full conversation along with extended glossaries, transcripts and flashcards, whereas the academy gives you all of that plus exclusive videos and audios for the season-based episodes explaining the vocabulary, exampling them, giving you quizzes, writing assignments and weekly speaking classes on Zoom. But if you were just here for part one of this conversation, then I thank you very much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed the show. Do grab that free worksheet by clicking the link in the show notes. My name's Charlie and I will see you next week on the British English Podcast. <laughs>